This morning I'm going to speak from the book of Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 to verse 13. And uh, we are going to stand up to read the word of God. We are going to stand up and uh, read God's word and, and ask God to make that word the central place in our lives. Matthew chapter 8. And Jesus, this is a story of Jesus. Verse 5. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. So we see here uh, an intercessory prayer beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And I say to another, Come, and he cometh to my servant. Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found a great faith, no, not even in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, verse 12 said, shall be cast out into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And uh, there used to be a famous uh, preacher in, in, in uh, some part of the United Kingdom called Rob Paisley, right? And he was preaching this message one day in, in his congregation. And a little tacker from the back of the church said, uh, Pastor Paisley, I have no teeth. And uh, to his credit, the preacher's credit, he said, My son, in hell, teeth will be provided. You may be seated. Some of you caught it, some of you didn't, that's all right. This morning, I uh, want to speak on the subject of faith. But before I go to that, I, I, I had an interesting observation two days ago when I rang up uh, one of uh, the bank managers in our church. And uh, the person told me, I am at the tennis. Good. And, and I began to realize Bank managers get invited to tennis. Funny CEOs get invited to horse races, the Melbourne Cup. And pastors get invited to funerals. So, wow, we are at the bottom of the ladder. That's very humbling. Nobody invites me to the tennis. Market-based positioning. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, Jesus entered Capernaum and he would make that his place of ministry he would stay there and he would perform miracles there. And as soon as he came in, there was a man whom is called a centurion. Now, you, you need to understand the culture of the day when you read your Bible because the, the people of Israel were under Roman occupation. Okay, and, and historically, uh, it says that the Roman uh, rulers were brutal. They were brutal. And their job was to maintain order. 
in the kingdom that they had conquered. And here is a centurion who has a hundred men under his care and his primary role was to stop any people movement in any direction. And you know, during the time of Jesus, there were a lot of people who were coming and going, claiming to be the Messiah. And so when Jesus came on the scene, he became a threat to the Roman government or the Roman rulers. Secondly, he was a Gentile. In other words, he stood, this man stood outside the Jewish faiths. And yet, he saw in Jesus something that others in the Jewish community failed to see. And uh, in my journey of life, I have found people who come from non-Christian background often express a greater measure of faith than people who are of the Christian faith. And sometimes there is a good reason for that. I remember in the Heatherland Road Church, uh, we, we had a, a meeting one day and, and there was a, a lady from a non-Christian background who was brought by a Christian. And after the service was over, that lady made this statement. She said, it is amazing that we who are non-Christian can experience the power of God in this place than the person who brought me. Wow, that was shocking. So here is Jesus being confronted by a Gentile outside the Christian faith. Christianity is often confused as a, a, a belief system that is confined to those of us who are only believers. That's furthest from the truth. This man had faith, and he had faith on behalf of somebody else. Now, you know, often when we have prayer requests and we have people, you know, who are online who say we can pray for your need and that's great and that's wonderful. But this guy was willing to push his needs aside and ask for prayer on behalf of somebody else. That is what I would call selfless prayer. The prayer of intercession spoken of in the Bible is often a prayer on behalf of somebody else. When Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham wasn't praying for his own need. He wasn't praying for what was upon his heart and the tension that was going on in his life. He's saying, God, please spare Sodom and Gomorrah. That is intercessory prayer. The fundamental foundation of intercessory prayer is not that you pray for yourself, but that you pray for somebody else. So here is this man who also appeared to be a compassionate man. Because in the book of Luke, it tells us that he had built a synagogue for the Jewish people. Wow. He's a Gentile. He's non-Christian. But the compassion that was in his heart is demonstrated not only by his words, but by his acts. And I think that's vitally important for us. It's great and wonderful to pray for somebody else and do something on behalf of somebody else. But how about going one step further in this journey 
and doing something constructive for somebody. We live in a community where there is a lot of hurt going around. I, I, I read an article two days ago which says 90,000 people have lost their jobs. And if you look at your life and the grace of God that is upon it, I think sometimes we take the grace of God for granted. There are people who have come into this country with great expectancies, with an empty pocket, of course, and now they are stuck in a corner because they have made bad choices. And yet, in that situation, God gives us an opportunity to be a blessing to them. So not only did he have words, he put his compassion into action. And uh, a Roman centurion would not ordinarily do this. My servant is lying paralyzed, suffering terribly. The hurt of the servant became the master's hurt. Now there is a word called empathy and we live in a great nation on one hand, but on the other hand, it is a nation that is characterized by a fair amount of selfishness, right? And so we have to be careful as Christians in the journey of life that the culture in within which we do life daily doesn't become our culture. Because we are Christians. We are Christians. And it's easy to carry a Bible and walk around and it's easy to stand in a corner of a junction uh, like sometimes I see people there in Flinders Street Station with a big board saying, Jesus is coming, are you ready? And, and if I could have my way, I would stick another board by his side saying, have a Coke while you wait. People don't come into the kingdom of God with that expression of evangelism, unfortunately. It might seem good to the guy who's wearing it. But Jesus never did evangelism that way. Jesus's evangelism was carefrontational, not confrontation. He confronted sinners, saints, not sinners. Jesus displayed a lot of love and compassion for hurting people. Do you and I? And let me tell you honestly, to walk in somebody else's shoes when they are going in the wrong direction is never easy. And don't pray for it. Because the moment you pray for it, God will take you at your word and present you an opportunity just outside this door. We are good people. But sometimes we have become so desensitized to human need because of the selfishness of our own hearts. And it's natural. It's natural. In the book of Luke chapter 15, we have the story of the parable of the Samaritan. And uh, we have the story that the, par the parable of the Samaritan, the priest and the Levite saw this man lying on the side of the road and they didn't get involved. You see, to get involved in human life is messy. M-E-S-S-Y. I don't know about you, but I find that challenging. That guy should never have gone alone down that road. 
It was one of the most dangerous roads in Israel. And Jesus is using a parable to demonstrate some spiritual truths. And yet, it was the Samaritan who crossed the road and helped the man who was half dead. And, and as you understand the culture of the day, the Samaritan could empathize because culturally the Samaritan was living at the bottom of the social ladder. So he knew what hurt was. He knew what rejection was. He knew what, you know, uh, the dying man was going through. Unlike the priest and the Levite. Because the priest and the Levite served God in the temple as a matter of privilege. They were privileged. They came from a certain tribe. And so uh, the, the priesthood was passed on from father to son. And, and I don't think they really understood, as Jesus would explain to the lawyer, the, the empathetic nature that the gospel brings. You know... Either you are law or you are grace. When I look at some of you, some of you are all grace, no law. Some of you are all law, no grace. It's a hard balance. And only Jesus could do that balance thing perfectly. This is what the law says. Or others say, do as you want. Uh, you know, we got the freedom of the wild ass here. I like what my pastors say. In this church, we have the freedom of the wild ass. That's a great saying. I'll never forget it. I, I, I sometimes, go, you know, go to the back and I find somebody who shouldn't be there. There, I am just looking around for what mice. If if you are in faith church, you only allow through the front door and you're going to go out from the front door when it's finished. But you're just walking. It's the culture. Well, it's time to change the culture. Amen. Not much amens for that because you're Sri Lankan. But would we know about culture? I'm talking from that context. So sometimes the empathy is lacking. We're good guys. We carry the King James version of the Bible because that is the inspired version. We have the law all tied up in a knot. But you know what Jesus did? He came and untied the knot. And he said, now we are under grace. He said, you can't put the new wine into the old wineskin. And some of us, God bless our souls, we are living in the old wineskins and we are missing the grace and favor of God into what the new wine offers. The Bible says there are now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of Christians who talk about grace and then... In the same breath, they will talk in a disparaging way about somebody else in the Christian life who has tripped up and fallen, failing to understand that if we haven't fallen ourselves, it is only because of the grace of God. Amen. It's so easy to become legalistic. Our words bear these things out. So empathy is never easy. Empathy has to be cultivated on a daily basis to feel somebody else's pain, to feel somebody else's sadness, to feel somebody else's disappointment, knowing that they made a conscious decision 
to go the other way. And yet, God loves them even though they're on the other side. That's grace. And the next thing we see is, if you are a centurion, a Jewish rabbi wouldn't come to your home. So, so, so Jesus, he, he is breaking with convention. He, he, he broke the rules. Why did, why did the religious guys get so upset with Jesus? Because he's breaking rules. The rules were designed to protect their power. At the center of the conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities was a desire to remain in control. That was the conflict. That's what caused them to put him on a cross. Remember this. It was his own people that put him on a cross, not the Gentiles. And yet, hanging between two thieves, he offered one man salvation. Wow. And, and you know something? That guy didn't tithe, but he got to heaven. That guy didn't get baptized, but he got to heaven. Because he made one expression of faith as he was dying on a cross. He said, remember me when you are in paradise. Wow. That's all. Let me tell you something. The gospel is not complex. So don't make it that way. The gospel is not complex. Jesus Christ came to redeem lost people. He came to give those who have failed in life a second or a third or a fourth opportunity to express, experience his salvation. And that's something as a church, we are the church, not the building, that we need to come to terms with. When people make a mess of their lives, it is so easy to walk in the opposite direction. That's the challenge to the Christian life. Or on the other hand, we can say, look, we don't want to know what happened. We don't need to know all the details of your mess. But the one thing we do know is that God loves you. God cares for you in the condition you're in. And if you will only turn your heart completely to him, he can bring you a turnaround. God is a God of turnarounds. So the centurion says, Jesus, I, I, I'll come right now. No, 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 no. I'm not worthy. Verse 8, that you should come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority. The centurion, even though he was a non-Christian, understood the power of God's authority. Wow. I want to encourage you today. Start studying the word authority in the Bible. If you really understand the power of God's authority, you can speak into your context and see a turnaround. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, God took the prophet and carried him by the Spirit into a valley that was full of dead bones. And the Lord said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He said, only you know, Lord. There are some situations in life that are so challenging. You really wonder whether God can bring a turnaround. But he's a God. He's God. He spoke the word. And when he spoke the word, there was light. Darkness and light cannot coexist. He walked into that context of darkness. And by his authority, he spoke light into it. 
the man of God, the creator of this universe, who is revealed to us in the person of Jesus, has power and authority over all the power of the enemy. Therefore, he has power over your context also. You and I are powerless, but he's powerful. And what happens when you begin to speak inspirationally into your situation and continue to do that because you have received a Rima word from God, which is a now word, then you begin to see a shift in your storm. When Jesus spoke to the storm, it vaporized with your power. He knew his power, that's why he was asleep in the boat. Upset us, but not him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the centurion had, had heard about Jesus. He understood the things that Jesus was doing at that play, point in time. And so he says, you know, you know, you don't need to come. You don't need to come. Just speak the word. Wow. Now, you're not a Christian. And Jesus said, wow. Faith like this, I haven't seen even in Israel. Wow. I've had people overseas call and want prayer, and they say, just, just pray over this situation. We believe your God can do the impossible. And he does. He does. He does. It's just amazing how God can interact with faith. Even though sometimes the faith is in a person who doesn't know him the way we know him. Wow. We, we, we are working with a student and uh, that the student is not proficient in English. Now, if you are not proficient in English, uh, you can't get a job in a call center. You've got to answer 200 calls a day. But uh, my wife prayed with her and told her to believe and we continued the prayer of agreement and now she works in the call center. Even she's surprised. Because what's a limit to us is a limit to God. And, and uh, uh, every time I see her uh, and I talk to her, I say, you're in the call center again still, right? Yeah, I'm still there. And I'm trying to work out the, the logistics in a rational sense. God is God. So the centurion understood the authority of Jesus. And he understood the authority of interceding on behalf of another. He knew that God is committed to answer such a prayer. Wow. I am absolutely amazed that this man had an understanding of scripture that the Jewish people lacked. And so Jesus was amazed and he made a statement which he never made anywhere else. I have never seen such faith even in Israel. And I say unto you, wow, go thy way as thou hast believed, it will be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. Wow. What are you going through? You know, the next thing we see about this centurion is, although he was a man of great, in great power and influence, he had great humility. Another key to answered prayer is humility. Humility and pride can't coexist. Pride is the feeling that I am better than I really think I am. Pride is subtle. It's subtle. We all have that bent to pride as a result of a fallen human nature. But this man with power and authority and influence, he humbles himself and comes 
under an authority which he knew was higher than his, because it originated from the throne of God. So when we come to God in prayer, we come with a deep sense of humility. Lord, I, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. But I come to you on the basis that you are a God of grace, you are a God of mercy, you are a God of compassion, you don't hold anything against me, even though I've made a mistake in my past, and I can trust when I come to you in simple, uncomplicated faith, you will intervene on my behalf. So Ezekiel is in this very, uh, Ezekiel 37, and he's full of bones, and God tells Ezekiel, speak to the bones. Wow. Sometimes God will speak, sometimes we have to speak, and we need to know the distinction. Sometimes God says, stand back, I will fight this battle. Other times God says, I am with you, you go and fight the battle. So we need to know the distinction between the two. But when you understand the authority of Scripture, and when you understand that you have authority also, you will exercise it. Now, you know, when you're driving your car uh, at 80 kilometers in a 60 zone and the policeman flags you down, you know you got to be stopped, right? You'll be pretty dumb if you try to take off. You might lose your car in the process. You understand he has authority and he exercises that authority. And you say, sorry, officer, was I speeding? You know you are because you are looking at that. How much more do Christians need to understand their authority. God has vested authority in us. He said, you shall speak to the mountain and the mountain shall be removed. He was, he was not talking about a physical mountain, but the context of your life situation is challenging to you and you and I need to learn to speak into it. We need to speak life into what is dead. We need to have, cultivate a believing heart and the believing heart is only developed through constant reading of the word. You can't move into your destiny and purpose on experiences alone. You know, some people go to a appointed place and they have this great, awesome experience and they're all hyped up, all worked up. And then they come back and two weeks later, because they're building on experience. You got to open your Bible and read it. The experience is good, but it doesn't last. I'm reminded of Peter, James, and John, the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, up there on that mount, they, they, they saw Elijah, and they saw the Messiah, and they said, oh, you know, Peter says, let us build tabernacles and stay there. So you can stay on the mountain too long. Life is done on the valleys. There will be good days. There will be bad days. There will be sad days. There will be mad days. But by the grace of God, we can get through. That's what the gospel is about. Jesus didn't come to give us an all-in-control, one-shot pill to take. It's going to work. The trial of our faith will happen. Our faith will be challenged. But if we stay anchored in the word of God, which is the ultimate authority by which Jesus lived, then we can let him have his way in our faith. He's ultimate authority. The centurion came in faith, but it was a faith that was based on grace and truth. He said, I know you are the Messiah, and you came to heal. I know that. 
because there's evidence to prove it. But I am a Gentile, and I still also know that you will offer me grace if I ask for it. That's important. And so according to his faith, he received. It was a simple, uncomplicated faith. Let me tell you, faith is not abstract. Faith is not abstract. Faith is not complicated. I heard somebody say, if God has something for you, you don't need to work yourself hard to receive it. If God has something for you, he doesn't hide it under a stone and say, now it's hot, now it's cold, now it's hot. You know, remember when we were kids, hot and cold, you know. <laughs> uh, I won't go there. <laughs> She'll ask me after the service, what, what was hot and cold you're talking about? So I'll give another explanation. I better think of that quickly. You know, when we are kids, hot or cold, hot or cold, and, and sometimes what we do is we put it in some other place and say hot, 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 and then they start turning everything upside down, but it really is some other place. We learn to cheat at seven, right? At least I did. You know, some people only follow Jesus for what they can get out of him. The prosperity gospel is built on blessing alone to the exclusion of everything else. That is a lopsided gospel. And we don't need to apologize for preaching it. Life is not going to be a breeze just because you put $500 into some preacher's pocket. I wish it were. It would make my life easy. That's not going to happen. In the way they say, there are going to be struggles. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be mistakes. There are going to be failures. But by the grace of God, you and I, can walk past it because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the gospel. It's a gospel on grace, of grace based on repentance. Lord, I have sinned. And yet, when I open my heart to receive your grace, I can embrace that grace and move on with my life to fulfill my destiny and purpose. And when I look at the book of Matthew chapter 1, at the family line of Jesus, I am amazed that God can take people who have failed in life, like David, like Solomon, and still use them to extend his kingdom. Wow. When David did what he did on at least four different, different occasions with different sins, there was a consequence. But by the grace of God, he repented, he moved past that thing, and God still made something of his life. That's the hope that we should give people. That's the hope that we should constantly keep before us. There go I but for the grace of God. And from time to time, we have to remind ourselves of the mess we were in until Jesus in. We preach a lot about the centurion, and that's good. But how about the guy who was there without hope? The centurion says he's suffering terribly. Wow. He too had a place in God's economy. Because we know if he didn't embrace the request, the healing couldn't have taken place. 
So the centurion would have told him, I'm going to Jesus. He's our only hope. And the man who was sick there would have said, go, go. Wow. I, I always try to picture what is happening in the context of what I read in Scripture because it makes what I am reading more meaningful. There are people outside the front door of this church who are living without hope. There are people you and I interact with day to day who have lost hope in some area of life or the other. And you and I have received the most precious truth of all. We have received the greatest grace of all. And now all God wants us to do is to take some of that grace and to give it to someone who is hurting and tell them, because of Jesus, there is hope for all of us. I close with this story. There, there was an American politician called Chuck Colson who was involved in what is called a Watergate scandal where they broke into the opposing, uh, opposite party headquarters and took some documents and he was put into jail. And, and in jail, in prison, uh, he had a Bible and that was the only thing he had to read. So he read it. And in prison, he accepted the Lord. Nobody prayed over him, no sinner's prayer, this, that, all that stuff that we sometimes, you know, uh, which is legitimate but uh, not very biblical, right? He got saved. He got saved and he started what is called prison's fellowship. He got out of jail miraculously and he started this fellowship and, and his life and ministry touched hundreds of hundreds of people who were convicts. And, and one day he, he, he was going to a, a prison to pray for an Afro-American who was about six feet, seven tall, big guy who was going to be, he, he was on death row and he was go, going into the gas chamber. But b before that, uh, the chaplain had asked this guy, you know, he's a dangerous criminal, but, but he wanted somebody to pray for him before he goes. Uh, are you bold enough to go? And, and uh, Chuck Colson said, yes, you know, this is an opportunity. And, and he went in. Chuck Colson himself is a big, strapping guy. And, and the man, he, he, he's going to the gas chamber. I asked him, Chuck, is there hope for me? And you know what Chuck Colson, he got him on his knees. Chuck Colson got him on his knees. And he said, because of Jesus, there is hope for both of us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel we have to return to. That's the gospel we, we have to return to. Righteous living doesn't exclude our ministry to hurting broken people. <music>